Hello everyone, it's Haley from the Prism Podcast, and oh my goodness, I am so excited to be back recording these episodes. I know that the holidays came and finals for everything for me, um, final exams, and it just became a whirlwind. So I know that I was going to try and put out another episode sooner, but now I just get to do a longer episode right now in December, almost January, so hopefully many of us will have a break and, and are currently enjoying this transition time, this break, and hopefully spending it with family or at least doing something that you love. I know that I've spent a lot of time reading and catching up on so many books that I've been dying to squeeze in before 2021 comes. And also, I've been using the time to figure out exactly what I want to carry with me into 2021, as well as what I want to leave behind. And I'm trying to plan out kind of some things that I want to make sure I follow and I implement into my next year. And because I've been planning goals, I ended up reading this amazing book called The Desire Map by Danielle Laporte. And oh my goodness, if you are someone who is kind of, you know, not turned away by goal setting, but it hasn't really resonated with you, or even if you are somebody who loves it and you're just kind of looking for a new way of thinking about it, this book is so amazing because it really focuses on instead of being so tied to the end result of I need to go to Paris for this birthday or I want to be married by the time I'm 28 or whatever it is, It focuses on how you want to feel because at the end of the day, all of these experiences come down to us wanting to feel loved or adventurous or more daring or brave. So there's so many different amazing feelings and she really goes in on how to make your desires come to life. And I just think it's a great book, especially right now when so many of us are wrapping up our years and trying to figure out exactly who and what we want to bring with us into the next year. So just wanted to throw that out there before I begin this episode. It's going to be another solo cast today. I'm going to be talking about three books, two of which are out, and the third is coming out in January, so you won't have to wait super long. And hopefully I'm planning on having a guest on the podcast in this next episode, which will be coming out in a couple of weeks, maybe earlier, Um, and This is definitely a book that many of us love and it's near and dear to our hearts, which is why I wanted to bring a guest and that should be Six of Crows. So stay tuned for that. That should be coming out January, um, possibly February, depending on when I can get her scheduled in. But I know that you'll love my guest. She's amazing and we're going to have some great things to talk about for that book. But for today... I'm just going to go right into the three books that I've read since October, which is the last time that I did this episode. And I've, again, I read Six of Crows and I've read another book too called Poisoned, but that one's really, that one, I don't know. I don't feel like I'd have enough to talk about for that today. So I'm just going to recommend it if you enjoy fantasy right off the bat and if you enjoy Jennifer Donnelly as an author I know that she also wrote a book called Stepsister which I read about a year and a half ago and that one was another amazing book. I personally enjoyed Stepsister a little bit more so if you're looking for like another fairy tale retelling that's actually interesting and like innovative 
Highly recommend you go for Stepsister, and then if you're looking for another one and you like her writing style, go for Poison too, because Poison was definitely a good book, just I didn't find it as strong as the first. Alright, so let's roll right into today's episodes, and I'll also put the titles and authors of these in the show notes just in case you didn't catch it. Okay, let's see. I'm going to begin with Love and Olives, which is by Jenna Evans Welch. And I didn't really know that this was a series, so to say. Um, I was talking with another member of one of my book clubs because she also read this book, but she told me that it's kind of a series in the way that there's like Love and Gelato and Love and Luck, or Luck, I think that is. Um, So like other titles that are similar with romance in like different international parts of the world, but they're all standalones, if that makes sense. So I was like, okay, interesting. So theoretically, this one would be like the third, I believe, in the series, but they're all standalones. So I might have to go and check out those other ones. So Love and Olives is about this girl named Liv, and she doesn't really have a lot of memories of her father because he ended up fleeing to Atlantis. He's kind of like this adventure history seeker and he believes that Atlantis is very real. So he ended up fleeing to Greece when she was just eight. And it was really hard on Liv because they were super close when they were growing up together. They both loved Greek myths and just this lost city of Atlantis. It was like something that they shared together and this interest in her dad would share like what he believed with her and she was just like this bright-eyed little kid who totally aspired to be like her dad and then he just kind of took off and left her so now I believe she's 17 in the book so she kind of just has like put up a wall between her and her dad um, because he just abandoned her for a myth that may not even be true so she's feeling very hurt um, but she's kind of just put up this wall and kind of just tried to push her dad out of her life But now she suddenly receives this postcard from her dad explaining that National Geographic wants him to do a documentary on the lost city of Atlantis and his theories and if he actually found it. And he asks her if she'll go to Santorini for a week and they haven't seen each other since she was eight. So what's that now? Like, that's been so, 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 so long. Um, And he's just asking her if he'll she'll join him. And Liv is like, what? Like, Santorini? First of all, she's like, wait, National Geographic's actually supporting my dad? But she just kind of thought he was this, you know, crazy myth hunter. And while she loved it while she was young, she's like, oh my god, like, did he really just leave me to go and chase after this story in this fake place that doesn't even exist? So she ends up going just because she, her mom really encourages her to, so that way she has some sort of relationship with her dad, so she's like, fine, I'll just go. So she ends up arriving in Santorini, and things aren't exactly as she thought. So there's so many questions and like emotions that are coming to the surface, and I'm also using the synopsis as a guide for this, so a lot of what I'm saying is I'm reading off the synopsis, just to note, um, but she's really just kind of confused on how she should approach her dad because her dad's like throwing her a birthday party on like this roof the second she gets into Santorini to see like the sunset and there's like this beautiful cake and she gets like this secret room in a library to stay in with like this beautiful bed and like all like these hidden crannies and she's just like whoa 
this is a lot. And then he's like buying her all these birthday presents and she's just like, whoa, like he's just pretending like nothing is between us or nothing was between us for so long when he ditched me to go to Greece. So she's like very confused and doesn't really know how to approach her father and things are a little bit weird between them. And if it makes things even worse, her father has an assistant her age named Theo who's been helping him and Theo is super close with her dad and that makes Liv feel really jealous in a way because while she was missing out on being with her dad, Theo's been living and helping her dad day to day for years. So it's like Theo got the childhood and like the rest of the childhood that she never had. And now that Theo's there, especially she doesn't like want to be all emotional and like have weird things going on between her and her dad when there's this other teenage guy there, she's just like, whoa, this is too much. So while all that's going on in these intricate relationships between her and Theo and her dad and all these other side characters, they're going around Santorini and trying to film this documentary. And it's really cool because you get to discover a lot of different parts of Greece that I didn't know existed. Um, Like it goes a lot into the culture and they visit some famous landmarks and it's just really interesting. And I found that very appealing. Um, I feel like the author did a really great job at making sure that the setting was believable. And I mean, who wouldn't want to read a book set in Greece, okay? Like, it's beautiful there. And just like the way that the author describes it, I have Greece on my bucket list now. So (laughs) that's saying something. But yes, they're just going around trying to visit all these places and film this documentary. And eventually, Atlantis takes on this whole new meaning at the end of the book. And Liv and her dad... um, they discover that Atlantis means something more to them than just a place. And it's just this really beautiful, you know, opportunity for the family relationships to come in. But it's not just like it's talking about family relationships. It's having this other plot of filming this documentary and visiting Greece and doing all these things while these relationships are key. So I really loved it. I'd highly recommend it. On the back of the book, it says teen fiction, which I'd agree with, yeah. It's like slightly romance, but it's not like an ushy-gushy romance. Um, And it says ages 12 and up, which I'd agree with. It's a pretty thick book. I'd say like, yeah, it's like almost 500 pages. But you know, I think it's definitely age appropriate for 12 and up. And I'd highly recommend it. I think that this is like the perfect spring break or summer book. I read it this summer. Recommend it. Wait, no, I didn't read it this summer. I read a book very similar to this this summer. That's what I was thinking of. But yes, even in the fall, this is a great book to read. So recommend that. Oh, and as for stars, let's see. I'd probably give this like a 4.5. And to be honest, I like binge read this book in only a couple of days. And this is definitely one of the books that is really well paced. So you'll want to keep reading it because there's some books that um, like the next one I'll talk about. I definitely wanted to keep reading it, but it had, like, good breaking points. While this, like, the plot continued very swift, like, at a swift pace throughout, so that was really nice and always intriguing. Like, it's never like you wanted to stop reading or there was a good place to put it down. So it's always good to find a book that you're very interested in and, like, the plot always has, um, like, little side side plots going on and that makes predictability a lot more difficult, which I love. I mean, nobody likes a predictable book, so overall recommend okay let's see the next one i just finished about a week ago i believe and that's soul swift and that's by megan 
Bannon, and she's also the author of The Bird and the Blade. And I've personally never read that one, but I might have to go and check it out because this one was written in a really interesting way. Um, and also, I don't know if any of you have read The Virtue of Sin. I can't remember who the author was, but I read it about two years ago. And in terms of seeking truth and like these very religious groups, I guess, that are very set on their ideas, um, I'd say that it reminds me a lot of this way because it's like these younger people of these generations who are trying to seek what's actually true because they've been taught, um, you know, that they're only supposed to believe what their elders tell them and they think that the other group is automatically wrong. So I'd say that this book reminds me a lot of that book and if you guys end up reading this, definitely check that one out and vice versa. So I'm going to read the synopsis on the back cover. Um, wait, let me see. This one doesn't have a synopsis, so I'm just going to go. Oh, yes, it does. Okay. Galia is a vessel, a girl who channels the word of the one true God through song. Cloistered with the other vessels of her faith, she believes, as all Avenists do, that a saint imprisoned Eloth the great demon centuries ago, saving humanity from earthly temptation. When Galia stumbles into a deadly cover-up by the ominous military, she reluctantly teams up with Tavik, an enemy, an enemy soldier, to survive. Tavik believes that Eloth is actually a mother goddess who must be set free. But while he succeeds in opening her prison, he inadvertently turns Galia into Eloth's unwilling human vessel. Now the church that raised Galia considers her a threat. In a race against the clock, she and Tavik must find a way to exercise Eloth's present from her body. But will this release stop the countdown to the end of the world, or will it be the cause of the Earth's destruction? And as Tavik and Galia grow closer, another question lingers between them. What will become of Galia? So I feel like that's a good little introduction, and I'll just give a little bit of backstory, since I know that that was a lot to take in, and it's, you know, it's hard to you know, fully grasp something when you can't read it, and you don't have as much information. So like the synopsis said, there's these two groups. There's the Avenus, and I can't remember the name of the other group, but they are very against each other. They're like, oh, you're so backwards to the other group. And essentially, the Avenus believe that there is one true God, while the other group, they believe that there is one God, but then there's also this goddess. So like they believe that there's a mother and a father figure, while the Avenus believe that there's solely a father figure. And... They're actually really similar, but none of them take the time to actually go and learn about that. Um, like, their similarities, because they're just so, like, it's grained, ingrained into them that they are so different and that the other group is so wrong that they don't really take the time to even learn about what they believe in. And so there's that conflict that breaks out in the beginning. And because I don't want to say too much or reveal what that was, um, that brings Galia and Tavik together, and they are members of the opposite group. So Galia is an Avenist, and Tavik is the other group. So they believe opposite things, and when Tavik accidentally frees the mother, which is like the goddess who's currently imprisoned, um, it ends up, or she ends up becoming imprisoned in Galia's body. So it's this interesting journey of them trying to free the mother because A, Galia thinks that there's this demon living inside of her um, because she, was, I mean, she grew up as an ovenist. She grew up as this vessel for the church. And 
now pretty much everything that she's been taught is that there's this demon living inside of her and then Tavik is like yes we need to get her out of you because she is the goddess so like there's conflict there but it's also really interesting to see their bond develop because they are on the run pretty much from a bunch of different groups who all want them um because both sides actually want to capture them a because one of the groups wants to capture Galia and put her in this prison not because of her but because the goddess or demon like the mother figure is inside of her and they don't want her getting out and that would be like the ovenous side well Tavik's side or like his religious side I guess they're just trying to kill Galia so that way the goddess can be free so both ways don't work out too well for Galia and Tavik is as they're getting to know each other they're both realizing that there's a lot of religious truths that they were lied to about or truths that aren't even truth but just that everybody told them like yes this is true yes like you must pray to this specific person and they're like wait like our religions really aren't that different they're all like they have very similar figures and they're like oh wait this is like really similar so they end up kind of questioning their own religions and being like huh maybe we can like take and pull from both of them as they go on this journey and it's really interesting because they're examining these truths and trying to get this mother demon goddess figure out of her body at the same time. So it's this quest, but then also this opportunity to seek their own truth, not just based on what everybody's been telling them. And I feel like that's just a very prevalent message that really resonated with me. Um, just like I love books that are about people just seeking the truth no matter if it's dirty and I feel like that was just something really raw and relatable that everybody um can hopefully relate to so I thought this was a beautiful book so well written the cover is beautiful I mean if you look it up on the internet or if you somehow have this book or go to a bookstore it has like this stone and it has this bird which is the soul swift and you'll learn about that significance in the book just breaking out of the stone and whoever is the cover artist i commend you because this is it's beautiful and as an artist myself i can totally appreciate that and also one last thing to add before i rate is that oh my gosh the ending i was like okay i like could not put down the book i was probably reading like the last quarter of a book or so all in one sitting and it was really late at night and I couldn't put it down and then the ending I just started sobbing or like I, okay I like don't cry that much when I read books but like I had like tears in my eyes and I was just like so upset and I was trying not to wake anybody else up in my house and it was it was like a really sad ending because I didn't think that that was going to end that way and I feel like that was like a really great plot twist but then it also was really beautiful the way that she ended it so again I was not happy with the ending but I am happy that she wrote it in a beautiful and sad way so you know the contra the contradicting sides of me I guess learned to appreciate it um but yes now for the rating let's see I'd say let's see mm -hmm. it was pretty good like I'd rate it like a 4.52 it says on the inside cover again this has like 500 pages um, it says grades 8 and up. I am, let me think. I don't think it's that, yeah, I don't think there's anything that bad in it. Um, in terms of trigger warnings, like, yeah, I don't think there's anything too out there that, like, I, I try and be sensitive when I'm reading, so that way if 
something gets my attention, I'm like, yes, mention this because sometimes people are really sensitive and I'm one of those people to certain content, so I get that. Um, but yeah, I'd say eight if you're a proficient reader. Otherwise, I'd say grades nine and up. And like, honestly, this is young adult as all of these books are, except for The Desire Map, which I mentioned just briefly for setting goals in the beginning. So, you know, take it as you please. But yeah, I'd say overall, really well-written book and I think it poses a lot of interesting things to think about and to really consider and I think that has a lot of messages that we should really take into account especially um, nowadays and just finding our voices and staying true to what's true for us and just really staying true to your intuition and what you know is right for you and not letting anybody else tell you that so again great messages there highly recommend and finally I am not done with this book, so I can't completely, I guess, fairly rate it yet, but like, okay, you guys, you're gonna love it. This one's so good. I was only like a couple of chapters into it, and I ended up texting one of my other bookworm friends, and I was like, girl, you need to read this right away. It's so good, because this is the author of the Darkest Mind series, and it has been promoted pretty widely, so I'm sure you may have heard of it, but it's called Lore. And it's by Alexandra Bracken. And I personally haven't read the Darkest Mind series, but my friend who I've texted read it and she is obsessed with it. So I might have to go and read it afterwards because this author, she's extremely skilled in what she does. So I'm going to go ahead and read the back cover to you in the synopsis. And then I'm going to go into my own thoughts. And I'm about, oh, let me see. I'd say I'm about 250 pages in, and it's about, let's see, it's like a little bit short of 500, so I'd say I have a pretty good grasp on the book so far. All right. You may deny the fates, but they will not deny you. Every seven years, the Aegon, it could be Agon, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, begins. As punishment for a past rebellion, non-Greek gods are forced to walk the earth as mortals. They are hunted by the descendants of ancient bloodlines, all eager to kill a god and seize their divine power in immortality. Long ago, Laura Perseus fled that brutal world, turning her back on the hunt's promises of eternal glory after her family was murdered by a rival line. For years, she's pushed away the thought of any revenge against the man, now a god, responsible for their deaths. Yet as the next hunt dawns over New York City, two participants seek her out. Castor, a childhood friend Lore believed to be dead, and Athena, one of the last of the original gods, now gravely wounded. The goddess offers Lore an alliance against their mutual enemy and a way to leave the Aegon behind forever. But Lore's decision to rejoin the hunt, binding her fate to Athena's, will come at a deadly cost, and it may not be enough to stop the rise of a new god with the power to bring humanity to its knees. So, Oh my gosh, yes! I hope that that synopsis was enticing, because as soon as I read that, I was like, oh my gosh, I gotta read this. And this has been on my TBR list forever, so I'm so happy I got this as an advanced reader copy. You're going to love it. So this really reminds me of Hunger Games meets Percy Jackson, which I absolutely love. Both of those series are so good, Um, but like, so good like it's fantasy but like high stakes I guess so like the synopsis mentioned there are all these different 
ancient bloodlines and like their descendants that are trying to hunt these Greek gods. And every seven years, there's this Aegon, which is where the gods are sent to Earth. Just to reiterate that, the nine original gods are forced to walk the Earth as mortals. And it's really interesting because you learn a lot of the complexity of the like almost political relationships between each of these houses. And each house, I believe, is like I say houses, like that's what they're kind of referred to, like the descendants of the ancient bloodlines, just to clarify. Um, but each house kind of represents one god, and some of the bloodlines are extinct because they've just been killed off, and now the Aegon is back and it's in New York City this year. And like the back cover mentions, the book follows Lore, and I believe she's 17, um, around that age, and she was really just hiding from this mythological world and all these houses and everything after her parents were killed by this one guy who is now one of the gods. And she is the last of her line as of right now and last of the Perseus, I think it's Perseids? I don't know how to say it. Her last name is Perseus though and um, but she's like the last member of her house because her family was murdered by this one guy who is now a god. And now she allies with Athena, who shows up at her doorstep gravely wounded, and they end up making this pact and this agreement to go and hunt down the person who killed Lore's family. And at the same time, there's this other guy named Castor that the back cover mentions, and I'm not going to say too much about him because he definitely has a lot of plot twists, and I don't want to misstep and say anything that I didn't know from, you know, like the first 50 pages or so, so that way it's not a spoiler, but he's an old childhood friend, and pretty much you learn right away is that, like the cover back, like the back cover said, Lore thought that he was dead, and they were very close as kids, and now he just kind of showed back up, and he has some surprises that come along with him, and by surprises, I mean holy guacamole, there are some plot twists that come with Castor, and I'm not going to say more than that, but there's some interesting things there, so pretty much it's this race of, it's kind of like this race against the clock, because there's only these seven days where the gods walk the earth as mortals, so they can be killed, and this year especially, it's incredibly violent because there is this kind of turn of the hand where there is one god that is trying to end the Aegon. So he wants to pretty much kill everybody else, kill all the gods, so that way the Aegon ends. And so that way he is just the only god and he doesn't have to walk the earth again. So interesting concept there but like you would think that causes a lot of conflict so now lore and athena and castor and she has some friends like let's see there is miles who's a human who's also helping her out they are all kind of racing against the clock to figure out how to go and kill this one person who killed her family this one god her and athena and I'm not going to say much more than that, but it's super high stakes. It's always very interesting and it's really cool because you get to like go into these other bloodlines and kind of see how they are um, because like Lore and Castor are from different houses and then they also go and try to stop this one god who's trying to kill everybody else um, from killing the current 
gods, I guess, who are walking the earth as mortals. So, like, they get to visit the different spots in New York City where the headquarters are and meet these different people. And it's so good so far. And I feel like I'm rambling because I don't want to reveal anything. But this back cover really puts it in a perfect way where you don't give too much away. And I just love the personalities of all these characters. Like, they feel very developed, which I appreciate because, you know... In some books, there's lots of action, but the characters don't really have distinct personalities, but that is not the case here. I feel like that's one of the reasons why it reminds me a lot of Percy Jackson is because I do remember that the characters in that book, they had very distinct personalities, and same with The Hunger Games. And this is kind of the same thing where it's not just action, but it's actually relationships and people who you feel like are actual people. It's not just like oh, yep, this is supposed to be the hero, and this is supposed to be, you know, like, the basic archetypes. So, overall, I'd highly recommend it so far. This would probably be one of the best books I've read this year so far. So, I'd give a 4.75. Um, let me see if there's an... I don't think there's an age range on this one yet. Oh, yes, it is. It says grades 9 through 12. I mean, it is young adult. I mean, like, adults read young adult, too, so... And then also ages 14 and up. So I'd say that that's about true. I don't really know. There wasn't anything mentioned yet um, that was like, oh my gosh, like gory content. Yes, there's like fighting and like there's mentions of blood. So like, you know, if you're somebody who's really sensitive to that, um, I completely respect that. And maybe this isn't the best book for you if you just don't like hearing about um, violence. But it's not like super gory where like it's like being super descriptive for paragraphs on end because I read like books like that and even though it doesn't bother me I'm like okay you you went a little bit overkill it doesn't need to be like that so overall highly recommend lore please go and check it out it comes out in January doesn't say the exact date I believe Oh, it's supposed to come out on January 5th 2021 so go and check this out it is so good. The cover art, again, is beautiful. It has, like, this statue of Medusa, I guess, but it's, you'll find out the significance of Medusa's head in the book, um, but so, so, so good if you were looking for high-stakes adventure with, I mean, who doesn't love some Greek mythology? Like, honestly, I could read books about Greek mythology all day. I love it. Actually, any mythology in general, and I feel like this was a really great way to tie Greek mythology into the modern day, you know, while also creating this high stakes, you know, conflict between all these different old ancient bloodline houses and all like these different political relationships. So overall, amazing. And that's all I have for you guys today. And hopefully I will be back soon with my guest speaking about Six of Crows. And oh my gosh, I'm so excited for you guys to meet her. You're going to love her. We both have super great insights on books and she's actually read this second book in the duology of Six of Crows. Um, and yes, I know that she has some really great insights too because she also read that second book while I have it. So I feel like it's a really good balance too. And we both have different takes on certain things. So it should be definitely a very good conversation to see different points of view, which is what I love about books is just talking to people and hearing their insights because not everybody has the same experience reading a book. So 
I'm really excited to talk with her. But for today, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, I'm just going to repeat the names of the books I talked about today, just in case you guys want to write them down, but they'll also be in the show notes. So first of all, just briefly mentioned, was The Desire Map by Danielle Laporte, and that would be for especially goal planning, how you want to feel if you're looking for, you know, a self-development book that will really help shape your 2020 and focus and you can really get honed in to how you want to feel, which can really, really, really change the course of your year. So if you're looking for another amazing book, and there's also like a workbook section in the back too, so it's not just reading information, it's actually like putting what you learned into practice and writing those things down, highly recommend that one. And then today I talked about Love and Olives by Jenna Evans-Welch. I talked about Soul Swift by Megan Bannon, and finally, Lore by Alexandra Bracken. Love and Olives and Soul Swift are already out, so you should be able to find them at your local bookstore, Amazon, wherever you can buy books, as well as Lore, which is supposed to be coming out January 5th. Not sure if that was moved back, but it should definitely still be in January of 2021. So thank you, wishing you all the best, and I'll see you in 2021. Thank you.